Father, we are just so grateful that we could assemble together as your people for worship. We are grateful that you still keep us in a land that gives us this freedom and this uh, privilege of being able to come into your presence together as the people of God. We do pray, Lord, that as we have read your word and as we have reflected upon it briefly now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us and guide us into its truth and that, Lord, uh, we would experience uh, from your grace and power through your word transformation of mind and heart and soul and that we would indeed live the way you want us to live in this, in this land, in this day. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You know, in the Old Testament, when Samuel was charged by God to anoint Israel's next king, he saw the stature of Eliab, one of Jesse's sons, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord told Samuel not to base his evaluation, if you will, on a man's appearance nor his stature, because he tells Samuel that he has rejected him. And then he says to Samuel this, For God sees not as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 6 and 7. And oftentimes we can be guilty of doing the same thing. We have the tendency to make decisions about a person's character and the value that he has or she has based on their appearance, their attire, or their stature. And what makes things even worse is when we make this sort of distinction of a person based on a our own personal bias, if you will, or prejudice, or what is known as bigotry, or we do it out of what sort of advantage can we gain from this relationship. And just as we've read this morning from the Old Testament as well as from the book of Acts and James, one of the things that becomes abundantly clear is that God does not deal with people the way we often do. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 15, it says this, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. Of course, In the Torah there, also in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 16 and verse 19, we read, You shall not distort justice. You shall not be partial, and you shall not take a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the justice. So before we get into our passage there in James, one of the things that is critical for all of us to know and realize is this. God never judges anyone with partiality. In fact, the Apostle Paul 
reiterates this truth in Romans chapter 2, verse 11, where he says, for there is no partiality with God. And of course, in the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 17, after we read uh, uh, Moses telling us about how great and mighty God is, is he reminds us that God does not show partiality nor take a bribe. And even in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, while he was on this earth, even among the opponents of his ministry and of his word, they knew one thing that was true of him. Because in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 16, they come up and approach him and they say this to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. And with that in mind, it's important for us to realize as God's redeemed people through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that we need to be imitating God's will in this area as well as in many other areas of our lives. To be partial in our judging of a person based on their outward appearance or, stat, or their status is not only adverse to the true faith that we say that we have in Christ, it is also sinful, and it must be repented of. And James shows us in this particular passage here of James chapter 2, verses 1 through uh, 13, why this is so. In fact, he presents, if you will, a real-to-life example that apparently was present among the believers in the first century because he gives an example that is one that could be happening right now. But before he does give us that example, he gives us a biblical imperative, a principle of what not to do. And we find it in verse 1. He says, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. The ESV says to show partiality. The King James says to be one who has a respecter of persons. And what was the rationale of, of, being, of showing favoritism, of partiality, of respect of persons? Well, it was always for the sake of the person who was doing it, right? And isn't it true that we are seeing that over and over again as we're watching things play out politically even in our own land? But I'd like to say that it's only confined to the politics that are happening in our world today, but it's not. It's happening also in the church. Here's what James says here in verse, listen to what James says in verses 2 and 3. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man who is dirty, in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, 
you sit here in this good place and you say to the poor man, uh, you stand over there or sit on the floor, if you will. Be at the footstool of my feet. James says, have you not made distinctions among yourselves? In other words, the Greek word there, have you not made a judgment? Haven't you distinguished in your mind as believers one person over another? And have you not done so, making this judgment with evil motives? It goes back to what the law says in the Old Testament that we read. You are to do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. Let's bring it down to today. What do you do when you see, were to see a poor and a rich man come in on a Sunday morning at the same time? One's, of course, showing his status by what he's wearing and maybe by the way he carries himself. And the other one is wearing shabby clothes, maybe from work. And that's all he has. Let me ask you, what are your initial thoughts of these two men? Who is the first one that you're going to approach when they come through the door? Will you welcome the one and politely ignore the other one? And if so, have we not been guilty of the very thing that James is talking about here? Have we not discriminated among ourselves based on someone's appearance? Let me ask you another question. Do you ever see this in the context of ministries here in the church? How about the youth group? When someone new comes in, somebody brings a friend, are you welcoming them with the same value, with the same love that you would someone that you're buddies with in the youth group? How about in the workplace? Do we see it in the workplace? Do you see it in your schools? How about in other public meetings? There are so many ways in which we can violate the principle that God has laid out that we're to love one another just by showing partiality. And this catering that goes on, beloved, whether it's through politically powerful or prominent people at the expense of ignoring and dismissing someone who is not prominent, someone who is lowly, it dishonors God because it is an assault on that person's dignity as a person who has been created in God's image. 
James tells us very clearly in this passage that we are being biased when we do this, that our motives as well as our actions are wrong, that they're sinful. And when we give special attention and care to one who may be rich and ignore and devalue another person who may be poor, we have an attitude of personal favoritism. We are showing partiality. We are becoming a respecter of persons. And James declares that we are judges with evil motives, evil thoughts. And since the Lord of glory that we say that we are believing in and following does not show partiality, how can we think that it's right to show partiality toward others? One of the things that you see through the gospel accounts over and over again is how the Lord actually ministered to the meek, to the weak, to the lowly, to the outcasts. And even during the time of the first century church, when some widows were not being cared for, they knew that it was wrong and they had to correct it. James very clearly here is pastorally asking not only the readers of this letter, but us as well. He's asking us three rhetorical questions that we need to really think about and answer for ourselves. Because to show, it is to show that to judge by appearance is evil. It's not of God. Notice what he says here in verses 5 through 7. He says, listen, my beloved brethren. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? And then he says this, but you, through your favoritism, have dishonored the poor man. And then he brings out this other aspect of what the rich many times do. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? One of the things that James is pointing out here that we need to see is that indeed to show personal favoritism to someone who is prominent and, uh, and uh, politically positioned is often the same person who is indeed inflicting the persecution on believers and is blaspheming God's name. It's important that we realize that within this statement, verse 5, James is stating that this partiality against the poor actually contradicts God's gracious choice to those who are poor in station, 
and in spirit. For by God's gracious choice, it is them who would come to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians and chapter 1. Because Paul reminds us of this truth when he speaks to the Corinthian believers. In verses 26 through 31, he says this, For consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. Going back to James 2 and verse 8, he reminds us also, that if we are seeking to do God's will, we need to be walking in the royal law that Christ has established for us. For in verse 8, it says this, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the Scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. In other words, we need to be the people of God who are modeling what that principle in God's Word, what that law ascribes to us as believers. We need to be a people who are loving our neighbors as ourselves. It is living out the royal law, the king's law, Jesus being king, which demands of us by grace, to indeed love our neighbors as ourselves. In fact, you'll remember Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount where he said, you have heard that it is said, love your neighbor but hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. So the extension of who is my neighbor Though it was a question that was being raised even during Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus just um, through his teaching has shown us that indeed we're to love everyone. Everyone. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember there back in Luke chapter 10? Jesus was also... Uh, and often being uh, challenged. And a lawyer comes up to him and asks Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds, love the Lord your God with all your hearts, souls, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Well, what does the lawyer do? Well, he tries to get out of the, the context of how that is supposed to play out, loving my neighbor as myself. He said, then who is my neighbor? Well, you know what happens. Jesus tells in the parable, doesn't he? The parabolic story about the Good Samaritan. 
and how a man leaves Jerusalem and he comes down to Jericho and he falls upon robbers and they, they beat him and they steal from him and they leave him as dead. And a priest comes by and walks around him. A Levite comes by and walks around him. The Samaritan who was journeying by actually goes and bandages his sores, puts him up on his beast, takes him to a place of safety in an inn, watches over him, and then on the next day, he gives money to the innkeeper to take care of him. And if it's still low, he said, he'll come back and pay what he owes. And Jesus says to those that are listening and to that lawyer, tell me, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? And reluctantly, they say, well, I guess it was a Samaritan. He says, then go and do the same. And then James in this passage, in verses 9 through 11, gives this warning. He says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. You know, he uses two of the most significant criminal acts that are often uh, not recognized the way they used to be in our own country. Both murder and adultery. But the thing that I want you to see is that the sins that we commit are indivisible. In other words, if we try to say, well, this I'm going to keep, but this I'm not going to keep, then, you know, because it's inconvenient for me or because um, I don't want to do it or, or whatever the reason is, we need to realize that to sin against God is to sin against God. If you stumble at one point, you have become guilty of all. You have become a transgressor of the law. And you see, God's will for us as his people through the royal law we need to know is being given by the one who is not only the law giver, but the law keeper. And James is clearly teaching us that if we are showing partiality, we are sinning against God's law. And when we do, we are condemned as lawbreakers. We become guilty before God. And we are deserving of His just penalty for our sin. And that closes with this statement here in verse 12. He exhorts us, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. 
It's important for us to realize, beloved, that though we may put degrees on what we think is acceptable, God's will for our lives is to be carried out fully. Even in treating one another in love. For God sees it all, doesn't He? Nothing escapes His notice. He looks at the very attitude of our hearts. And James warns us here, for judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. How does mercy triumph over judgment? We need to know, beloved, that it only comes through the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if God has so forgiven us and so continues to pour out His mercy and His love on us, we should be doing it to every person we come in contact with. Loving them. Showing kindness, mercy, love. As God has done for us in the Lord Jesus. And if you be here today and you have never put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could understand the great love that God has for you through the Lord Jesus and through His sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, and His glorious resurrection, which we're going to be celebrating in just a short time, I ask you to trust in Him today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Some applications for us today. First of all, I hope that we've been able to see that God is no respecter of persons. So that as we call ourselves God's redeemed people, we need to act the way God acts towards others. We need to be lovingly impartial toward one another. To make uh, prejudice or um, partial evaluations of other persons based on their outward status or, or how they look, it maligns the core value of that person who has been created in God's image. Second, God does hold us accountable for how we treat one another. So may we take this admonition from James and be people who live and truly care for one another, living out the law of liberty that has been outlined for us, that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is indeed our chief example. Remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9? 
you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might be made rich. And then thirdly, we need to know that God loves the poor and the needy. And we need to be lovers of those who are poor and needy. We need to proclaim the gospel indiscriminately. We need to be a people who are extending genuine, loving welcome to all people who may even come and visit this body, this church on Sunday morning, including those who come in rich or come in poor by status, without discrimination, so no one feels slighted. Remember Deuteronomy chapter, N, uh, chapter 10, verse 18, talking about God. It says, He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows His love for the alien. Therefore, may we know that true faith in God and favoritism do not mix. Amen.